Podcast. Chris is with me. Hola. We are in the final stretches of this Kurosawa series. We only got five more movies left after this. Yes. That's that's ridiculous. Uh, two of which are very acclaimed in Kagemusha and Run, but you're talking about Kurosawa's first only film not in Japanese? That is correct. Um, well, Dreams has a one segment in it with Martin Scorsese talking in English, playing Vincent Van Gogh. That's weird. Um, it is weird. Uh, <laughs> but for the most part, Dreams is a Japanese film. So, yes, we will say Dersu Uzala is his only non-Japanese film. All right. Is this also his first film without either Shimura or... or? No. Uh, you're asking questions that we should already know the answer to. Mm, I don't remember um, that, though, you know. Dodeskaden did not have either... And yeah, so I think no, Dodeskaden did not have either Shimura or Mifune. And then some of his very, very early films, uh, be, like the Sanchiro Sugata, those didn't have Shimura in it either. No, Shimura didn't come in until The Most Beautiful, I think. He was in The Most Beautiful in a bit part. And then it was No Regrets for Our Youth when he came back. So he might not have been in The Men Who Tread Tiger's Tale either. Yes. This was so long ago now at this point. This is ridiculous. His 263 damn credits. When was? 50. No, 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 no. No, it was uh, 40, 39. 39. Somewhere around there. No, I have a correct. Oh, wait, here it is. 1943. Sankiro Subeta. I mean, uh, Shimura oh. was Hanske Murai, with Sayo's father. Okay. And he was in The Men Who Tread Tiger's Tale. I know he was in The Most Beautiful, but where is that? Kita no Sani. Maybe he wasn't. But he was not in Sanchez who got to part two, at least. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Oh, I'm mistaking. Am I, I think I'm mistaking The Most Beautiful for... No, that was the one with the the women prison labor. Yeah, that was it. And, not prison. <laughs> just wartime camp. Yeah. Anyway. Ich, Ichiban Utsuku Suki, Shiku is how it's listed <laughs> in IMDb. Gosh. Maybe okay. like having you know, anyhow, no. whatever. Uh, Sanchez Part Two was the first film without Shimura. Uh, it is still probably <laughs> one of the first films without Tak Takashi Shimura, and this is seventy-seven uh, or something. Seventy-five. Okay. <laughs> Gosh, they have worked on a lot of films together, but we are of course talking about Dersu Uzala, uh, the Russian language film directed by Akira Kurosawa. He was. Uh, uh, contacted by this Russian company who wanted to create an adaptation of Dursu Uzala. Um, and uh, Kurosawa, having read the memoirs years ago, wanted to create this film in the 30s, in the early, late 30s, uh, but was unable to because of how critical and uh, foundational the Russian wilderness is to this film. Um, but Chris, what is... Uh, what is Yersu Uzala about? So a, a, a Russian army captain, um, Arsenev. His name I'm is Capitan. Capitan. Yeah, <laughs> Capitan Arsenev. He, um, 
is charged with a small platoon to go explore the Siberian wilderness. So this is it starts. The film starts in 1902. Um, for anyone who's not particularly familiar, if you look at a map, Russia takes up the entire northern section of Asia. It's and part of Europe. It's and part of Europe. It's just this absolutely massive fucking country. Um, about the, somewhere in the middle, like uh, if you go to India and go straight up, there's a mountain range, and everything to the east of that mountain range is is technically Siberia. It's owned and claimed by Russia, but it was just a wild wilderness that throughout history had been occupied by the Huns, the Mongolians, the Chinese. Um, but it's so far up north. The, the crazy Russian people eventually took claim over it all. So, Especially in 1982. It's, or 1902. Just. <laughs> yes. So, so this, this is uncharted territory. Um, so Arsenev and his small squad, they're basically just su- surveyors. They're not even supposed to be functioning as a military troop. They're just surveyors. Go out there figure out the lay of the land. How big is this land? Like, when do we actually reach the sea? All this kind of good stuff. It's fucking huge. Yeah. Fucking massive. Um, while they're out there, they get lost a couple of times. They, they don't know exactly what they're doing because they're, it's, I I couldn't remember. It wasn't exactly the dead of winter. Um, but it was, it was early spring. So there was still a lot of snow on the ground and the Siberian wilderness is, extraordinarily harsh so while they're out there trying to figure out what to do and how to get around there they come across a goldie native um named dursu uzala uh goldie is a i looked this up goldie i have it open right now it it is it's a native tribe that's a descendant of the jerkin people who are themselves descendants of manchurian chinese um, but they're, they're a nomadic culture. That's why they're up in Siberia in the middle of nowhere. Um, played by the Russian actor. What is his name? Maxim, Maxim Munzuk. 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 Yes. Maxim Munzuk. And he is um, a Tuvan actor, which is different from, uh, yeah, the other one, but, um, he has a somewhat equal, equally complicated lineage. Yes. <laughs> um, so, Anyway, Dursu is, you know, just like his people, a, a nomad. So all he does, he lives in the taiga. Uh, the taiga is a generic term for the the genome up in that. Uh, so here in America, we're a temperate forest. If you go up into Canada, there's still a bunch of uh, forestry up there. But because it's so cold, that genome is the taiga, which is what occupies most of Siberia. And then further up north is when you get into the tundra. And this could also be, uh, I mean, some some of the words that he says are also in the Golgi language, and they don't translate those, because he speaks, uh, like, conversational Russian, it's pretty broken, and the subtitles are also broken. Yes. (laughs) Um, And and so he's he's basically an expert. He understands the taiga, the the Siberian wilderness, and he befriends uh, Captain Arsenev, and, and and it is enlisted to act as a guide for them. So now now they have a local who knows what the hell he's doing as they travel through the Siberian wilderness. And thank God they do because they would have died yes, so many times, times. without him. 
I mean, he isn't—he isn't even uh, recruited to be the the guy. That they say the next day, Dirsu just started leading us through the wilderness. No word spoken. And he is—he's uh, like the kindest old man of all time. So Dirsu is also—he's elderly. He's probably like sixty years old or something. Mm-hmm. Um, he is like the kindest old man, and. What happens is not so much, you know, just like some of other uh, Kurosawa's other films, this isn't a story so much about action and plot movement as it is about its themes. Um, and here it's really all about humanitarianism because Dursu, he, he talks, as, as you mentioned, you know, in, in the broken Russian, but he, he talks from a perspective of the Goldie tribe, which is a, 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 a pantheistic uh culture so everything is a god and so he he refers to that as everything is a people Mm. and there's a really fascinating scene where they're the russians are like kind of picking on him and he's like what do you mean he's like not everything is a people only humans are people he's like no this fire is a people the The water is people the wind everything is a people and when he says uh when he says the fire is a people the one guy doing the the biggest ribbing, like, laughs at it, like, everyone else is, stops laughing, and then he says, the wing is a people, the water is a people, and the guy sits down, and everyone is suddenly captivated by what Dursi was saying. Because when he starts speaking this, he's speaking to a larger truth um, about man's role and interactions with nature. Um, and so the film is broken up into two parts. The first part is this initial meeting with Dursu as they explore the Siberian wilderness. Um, and it eventually comes to a point where after some serious shit goes down, they find the transcontinental railroad and Dursu says, all right, I'm going to go back to my wanderings. You guys can follow the railroad home. Um, and then the second, is that before or after the, uh, the blizzard and the, in the huts? That's after that's the, that's the serious shit that went down. Okay. Let's just skip over that. We can go back to it. I'm still trying to see what the movie's about. Because right. <laughs> I'm so long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that's the end of part one. They actually like bring up end credits and say end of part one. Um, part two is uh, five years later, 1907. Arsenev is commissioned to go back out to the Siberian wilderness and do another survey. Uh, but this is later in the spring, so it's more... Uh, in the summertime is where most of the action takes place. Uh, so you don't have the desolate wasteland of Siberia. You have this, this lush, uh, jungle that they're working through. And they find, you know, they just, Arsenev is constantly thinking, you know, I wish, I wish Dursu was here because he's my best friend and I love him and he would be able to tell us where the hell we are and what we're, what we're doing. He says um, uh, they would be able to have done so much more if Dursu was Um And by happenstance, they do come across Dursu Uzala again. And so he joins back up with uh, this new squad as they begin to explore the Siberian wilderness. But this one takes – this section of the film takes a, a dark twist where Dursu feels that he has – committed a crime against nature um and his his punishment for this is losing his eyesight so after the the expedition dursu moves to it 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 said the name of the city 
but I will never attempt to pronounce Russian <laughs> names that are not Moscow or St. Petersburg. Uh, um, I believe it is pronounced somewhat like Khabarovsk. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> he moves into the city with Arsenev and his family and um, plays out a, 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 the film doesn't break it up into a third section, but it basically plays like a third act to the film where Dursu is, is trying to integrate into quote unquote civilization. He's not doing uh, too well. He's not doing too well. <laughs> and eventually he leaves. So there is, a narrative structure to the film, but it spends so much time in that kind of contemplative mode where it doesn't matter. Like they're not going to any place. They're just exploring the wilderness. So they're just wandering and learning about themselves and the world around them as they wander. Um, This is a movie about exploration. Yeah. Okay. As I watched this movie, I just thought to myself, this is way better than why does it exist? I I haven't seen The Revenant. And the Revenant is fine, I guess. But it, <laughs> it's not, it did not uh, deserve the praise that it received. And this is way better in terms of like an exploration film of survival and wilderness and stuff. Absolutely. Um, the, the the whole scene that you were mentioning with the, the blizzard and the, and the grass hut, that was intense, yeah. I thought. For, for a film that is very lackadaisical very flowing nothing has really happened before this point yeah it just it it gets so intense so quickly Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i think that that whole scene that was like 15 minutes long yeah um and it's just uh the snow beginning to whip up faster and faster until it gets to the point of a blizzard and uh before this even begins, Dursu says to the captain, we have to cut all this grass down. So that's what they do. No, no explanation. Days. Yeah, they're, they're just running around cutting grass, and Arsenev is passing out because he is a wimpy white dude. <laughs> yes, I'm <laughs> so sure. Around. Every, the, the entire time I was watching the scene, I was like, the conversation after this is going to be like, Dursu, that was harder than any military training that I've ever done. <laughs> And he's like, what are you talking about? This is Tuesday. <laughs> like Dursu is a, he's a hard motherfucker. Yeah. Like any of these like American wilderness types about their manly man and their, their bow and arrow getting out there in the wilderness. I want them to go hang out in Siberia with Dursu. Mm-hmm. He will show them what the fuck is up. Yeah. But they, uh, they have to cut down all of this grass. Dursu makes a hut for both of them after Arseniev has passed out from exhaustion. Um, and it's only once he wakes up that he realizes what the fuck they were doing, <laughs> cutting down all that grass. I was wondering, too, I was like, are they going to make a hut? I was like, how are they going to make a hut? Because I didn't realize that that big tripod that Dursu was carrying around with him was a tripod. Mm-hmm. I just thought he was carrying some weird, random piece of equipment with him. So I was like, are they going to make a hut? No, that doesn't make sense. Well, the wind's just going to blow the grass away. They're in the middle of a windstorm. Maybe they'll just turn it into a big fire so they don't freeze, but that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, fire is the first thing the guy went to. <laughs> we but you have, you have never right. seen people cut grass with such fervor. Yeah. Wikipedia says they were on a frozen lake at the time, too, so maybe fire was the best plan. Yeah. So I think that was a really interesting thing. So the, the, the through most of the film, they're traveling through the taiga, the, mm-hmm. the, the wilderness. Um, but when they get there, they're in a barren wasteland. And the film didn't uh, 
specify, but I was looking up Siberia um, afterwards, and there actually is like a whole section of Siberia where the taiga and the 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 it's still the taiga because it's a, a the a genome, not a place. Um, it's still part of the taiga, but there's no jungle. It's just like this barren desert wasteland in the middle of Siberia. And I was like, Jesus, people live up there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, I feel I feel like I feel like that's where they had ended up wandering to because they were lost. That's why yeah. they had to school. Um, they 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 left the forest on a, a little raft and then split up from their crew, which it didn't explain either. I think half the crew died during that snowstorm <laughs> off screen because um, there was like seven of them. And then when everything was said and done, there was only three. Yeah. Well, what happens when you're travel around the Tunga? <laughs> just don't do it don't do it guys yeah um so i thought that was really interesting that i just i took a, a few minutes to read up on siberia and i was like oh i bet you that's where they wandered into <laughs> those poor poor bastards like all of a sudden it became more uh severe in my mind after mm -hmm. the fact <laughs> to realize like oh no this is this is like no man's land of siberia yeah they uh after the frozen lake and the grass, they run into a Nani family, which yes. is um, another part of uh, descending from Manchurian people. Another nomadic tribe. There's yep. like Siberia. Like I, I was fascinated reading about it afterwards, and hopefully this movie will make other people like want to read about it because there's no defined people of Siberia. It's literally just dozens of different nomadic tribes from China, Mongol, all of it that had wandered up there. And they're just like, nope, I'm just going to hang out up here. This is, this is good stuff. Mm -hmm. this, uh... and, and because it's Siberia, nobody dared try going in there and to create quote unquote <laughs> modern civilization. They're just like, well, just leave this alone. No, who's going to live there <laughs> like in a city setting. Oh. Yeah. But this Nani family gives them food, shelter, uh, for a day or so. And then, Arseniev and his the rest of his company are finally able to return back to the city. And Dersu says, "No, I live here." And then, cut to five years later, Arseniev is still or again traveling in this wilderness. And he, uh, when gosh, when he and Dersu meet back up with each other, where like the guy walks up to him and he's like, "Captain, there was a hunter around that was asking." who they were, who you, who we were, and who the captain was. And of course, I can Russian military secrets. And Arseniev walks away without basically saying anything, but what he really makes say was, you fucking idiot, that was my friend. <laughs> Get him back here now. Yeah, so he chases after Dersu. And I assume at this point that Dersu was, uh, had run across one of their trails and I just uh, tracked it to that point. And captain runs after him, finds him, and they are... So joyous when they get back together. This is the most, this is like one of those like beautiful male to male relationships in cinema. Like these dudes love each other so much. Like it was, it was, it was so funny because like the whole time Arsenev, because it has a lot of voiceover. Um, so one of the things that, uh, we didn't mention is that this film is based off of a true story. Um, Arsenev, the, the real Arsenev wrote a gigantic memoir talking about his expeditions to Siberia and Dursu Uzala. And throughout so, the movie, so, you see him write some of it as well. Mm -hmm. So that's where the, the, the voiceover narration comes into play. It's almost as if uh, Kurosawa is reading the actual memoirs um, while depicting 
very particular events. So the voiceover narration acts as a an expediting method to, to get through more of the, the memoirs while only showing the important bits. Um, but also it acts as an insight into Arsenev. And since it is reflective, like the whole time at the beginning of part two, it's basically Arsenev saying, man, I miss Dursu. I love Dursu. He, <laughs> yeah. he would be the greatest person ever. I really wish we could find him again. He's <laughs> missing his buggy. He hadn't seen him for five years. That's right. Got to make sure he's okay. The crazy old man living out in the wilderness all by himself for five years. You gotta yeah. worry. And when, uh, when, you know, you go through that scene with the grass cutting and Arsenio almost died in it, and he would have died if not for Dersu, you, mm-hmm. you, you find a kind of kinship with people. Bound for life. Yeah. And then the rest of the company is like staring at Dersu, being like, I don't trust this guy. And Arsenio and Dersu are just chilling, talking to each other and laughing. <laughs> That was so good. So one of the things about this film is the the cinematography is just gorgeous. Um, during that scene in particular that you're talking about, to illustrate that in the upper left corner of the screen, you have like the 15 Russian soldiers that are part of his troop around a fire and they're playing music and singing songs. And it's just this black landscape of space between them. And then in the lower right corner, there's another little fire, and it's just Dursu and Arsenev sitting there hanging out and catching up <laughs> on good times. <laughs> it was wonderful because it 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 it, uh, it visually showed how important their relationship was, um, and the fact that it wasn't exactly mixing with everybody else immediately. Right. Um, but it was also just compositionally beautiful, and the Russian dude singing like it was like. This weird serenade almost for this uh, reunion. That was really that was a wonderful scene. It mm. was just it was gorgeous. But by the end of the film, Gertzu has properly integrated into this company. Everyone trusts him. Everyone loves him. Um, after the uh, incident with the tiger, a guy is trying to cheer him up. He, he's hag and a stick behind him, and he's like, "Hello, Gertzu. How is it going today?" <laughs> but unfortunately, at that point, Gertzu ain't playing around no more. Yeah. Uh, this uh, this incident with the tiger, a Siberian tiger, wanders a little too close to the company. Um, Dursu uh, calls it by the uh, the Goldie name. I forget what it was. Amba. Amba. Um, so uh, he says, "Do not do not come closer, Amba. The soldiers will kill you." Um, and the tiger does not comply with this until Dursu shoots it, and that is when the entire movie turns in terms of the feel of. Yeah. And it, it, it felt like in that scene that, that Dursu wasn't intending to shoot the tiger. He was just trying to scare it. And he got scared for his friends and mm-hmm. like, and did a panic shot. So that makes it even worse. So, so he killed like, I guess the Amba are like a sacred beast in the, the pantheetic religion of the Goldie. Um, so he's just like, like it was a panic shot. He didn't do it on purpose, but he still shot the tiger. Um, but they don't know that the tiger ran away. He might've missed it for all they know. And Arsenev says that he's like, no tigers right. run away to go die. And tigers he, run away until, like he said. until they die. Um, and, and now he just, he feels that he has cre- uh, committed the greatest sin and that the, the great Kumba, I think was the word Conga Conga yep. is going to, to get revenge by sending another Amba to kill Dursu. And so now everybody, like, they're all friends, and they're trying to be jovial, and he's just 
fucking pissy. He's like, quit disrespecting the people, the meat is people, the fire is people. Like he, he is the same as he was at the beginning of the film in terms of the respect for nature, but it's no longer a res- It's no longer a respect. It's a fear of nature and, um, using what, what was, um, represented as respect is now, um, obedience. Like if you don't do this, bad shit will happen to you. Look what has happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's this one, I mean, there's several scenes, but the one that I remember is, uh, someone has hung a wrapping of twigs or, uh, stems or something around. Oh, this. it's a, it's, it's a hunter's trap. Um, yeah. it, they, I think they, the word was a ju- juvena. It's a, uh, yeah, they, they create, a pathway in the forest by stacking up uh, small trees and branches to create like a, a beaver dam. Oh that, no, no, this was something else. Oh, not that one. Right. So this was just like a little thing hung on uh, a thing of leaves that indicated there was no ginger or something around the area. So like when one of the soldiers takes it off, uh, Darcy runs back and he says, "No, this indicates that there is no whatever this thing is." Why would you take it off? You're just going to confuse the hunters that come here looking for this, and then there will be none there. But they could have already known this if you just left their alone. Oh, I don't remember that part. My brain is bad. <laughs> Usually I'm the one not remembering. <laughs> I think that was a big thing, because a previous Dursu would probably be like teaching this soldier, no, leave that there, this is what it means. But this yeah. Dursu is like, what are you doing? This is what this means. You can't chastise people. Yeah. The the other thing that you're talking about with blockade of twigs and trees and yeah, yeah, funneling animals into a series of traps. Mm -hmm. But the the hunters just left it there, and he's fucking pissed. So like all the soldiers, like they find all the the pitfalls and any any that the animals were still alive, they rescue them and pull them out. but Durzu, he he's just pissed throughout that whole thing. He's like, "Why are you? Why are these people doing this? This is not right. Yeah. This is not okay." I mean, he should be angry at that kind yes. of thing, but he is uh, like fuming, overly, yeah, outwardly he's, angry. He's, he's hypersensitive at this point. Yeah, though there's a little bit of a funny moment where uh, soldiers have split up, looking for the holes, and say, "There's nothing alive in this one. There's nothing alive in this one. I have fallen in this one." <laughs> what? How did you fall? No, that was good. But that, 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 that whole story eventually comes to a head when they, they do come across a second Siberian tiger. Um, and Dursu really believes that this is the, the vengeful Amba who has, who has come from the, the Kanba to, mm-hmm. to kill him. Um, and he just turns and he, he begs Arsenev because Arsenev had very casually before said, you know, hey, Dursu, why don't you, Come to the city and live with me. Well, before the end he, of the first part, he says, yeah, come, <clears throat> back, "Come back and visit, and then you can go back." Yeah, and, and so, so here now, Dursu, he's just he's begging Arsenev, "Please take me to live in the city. The the gods do not want me in the taiga anymore because I have sinned and I can't see anymore." Yes. Well, yes, yeah, before his this, vision's been going bad. Yeah, before this, we're skipping over. Uh, he smells a boar, but he does not see it. Um, and then he tries to shoot at his mitten hanging on a hanging on a, a knife, but he can't see that anymore. And this is, of course, just the old age. He's got to be seventy years old now. Yeah. Um, but he believes it is vengeance from the Kanga for sure. Yes. And the scene where he's trying to shoot his mitten, I thought was a really good contrast because it 
the film the film very meticulously plotted all of this out and you didn't know it uh during the first part when they're walking with the first company the soldiers just randomly just stop and they start shooting mm-hmm. and Dursu's like what are you doing why are you wasting your bullets and they have a broken bottle tied to a string and they're swinging the bottle and trying to do target practice because they're a bunch of stupid soldiers. And they're trying to shoot the bottle. Yes. Uh, Dursu's like, do you see a bottle around here? No, don't fucking break a bottle. What's wrong with you? Um, I'll shoot the rope. And it, it's like this kind of like boastful bet type mm-hmm. of thing. But Dursu is not being boastful about it. He's just like, no, a good shooter never misses. And this is... To, to illustrate that he is an expert marksman, he knows what he's talking about. They swing the rope in the bottle, and he just takes aim, boom, severs the rope. Everyone's like, ah, this dude is is the shit. <laughs> yep. That seemed like this odd, like just little side story in the in the in the first part of the film, but that is what plays in the back of our mind when he's trying to shoot his mitten because you know how good he is. And Arson is like, Oh no, everybody misses sometimes. And it's like, Dursu doesn't say it, but me as a viewer, like I said it in my mind, I was like, no, no, Dursu does not miss. And so that's how you can really, um, you, you connect the two, uh, the, the two scenes together and realize, wow, this is his vision is really, really going, going South. Yeah. And, and that boar scene is a, is an evolution. He sees, or he smells the boar. Uh, Arseniev tries to shoot the boar and misses. He says, could you not see it? And Jersey doesn't really say anything. And then they see an elk or something, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, there's an elk or deer or something much larger. And, Antelope, you know, one yeah. of those types of creatures. Yeah, and uh, Arseniev says, oh, Jersey, shoot it. He misses it. And he's like, Jersey, can you not see it? And that's when he, they do the... Uh, the knife scene. He's like, I can't shoot any. I can't see any. This is what I'm known for. But I am not that person. Yep. And he knows. He's like, I can't live out in this wilderness anymore with 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 this being how it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, making life crisis seventy. <laughs> That's a long life. Yeah. Should should have been anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So they go back to the city, but Darcy uh, is not acclimating to this he says he is a duck he's just sitting here doing nothing his his whole life it's you know his whole life has been a facsimile of survival you know that's 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 life to him you you wake up you set a trap you catch some food you go hunting you cook your food you make your shelter you survive the day you go the next day you go wandering because he's he's nomadic Mm -hmm. so that's that's how he lives his life he wanders the wilderness hunts eats, creates, create, builds his shelter and sleeps and moves on to the next day. So now they have, you know, Arsenev has this really nice big house with his pretty wife and his precocious little son who, who plays the piano. The little captain. The little captain. And, and they don't do anything because, you know, Arsenev is not going on an expedition. He's basically, it felt like he was on leave and the wife is, is cleaning the house. The son is just sitting there learning and playing the piano. And so Dursu is just, well, this isn't how people live. This is the strangest damn thing. Yeah. He doesn't know what to do because his life, the last 70 years of his life has been very pointed in the, in this is what you do to survive. And now the luxuries of modern civilization have removed that bite um, from human nature. Mm-hmm. And he yells at uh 
Arsenev's wife for buying water, for buying firewood. It was that was so good. He 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 yells at the dude who sold her water. He's like, "Why the hell are you selling water? There is a river filled with water right over there. What are you doing?" And the guy's like, "Shut up, old man. You don't know what you're talking about." He's like, "No, I do know what I'm talking about. There is a river where you can go get some water." Yeah. Yep. And then uh, so Darstu in his wilderness mindset says, "All right, if you're gonna buy firewood, I'll just get my own firewood." And he starts chopping down a tree in the park. In the park. He was arrested. (laughs) Like, that reminds me, I can't remember the detail, um, that there's another movie where something similar happened, where it's like, you know, not the main character, but the the main side character of whatever this movie is I'm trying to think of, goes off and does something stupid and gets arrested, because that's just their nature. I wish I could remember what movie it is I'm thinking about. George Um, (laughs) Lee I love that movie. No, that's not that's not what I was thinking about, though. <laughs> that is not what I was thinking about. But they, it was more of a, a more serious type film like this one. Okay. Um, but that, that's always that's always a good a good scenario because it's 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 funny, but it also has purpose. Yeah, it's showing contrast, contrasting the differences between wilderness life and city life, and where you pay for services that wilderness people would do because it's free. Enough. You just got you got to work for it. You got to do what you got to do, yeah. which leads to the end of the film, which was horribly sad. Gersu says, "This isn't working out. I'm going to go back to the wilderness." And it's like, but you can't, you can barely see. He's like, that's fine. I just, I can't do this. And Arsenio realizes uh, he can't. He walks away in what you probably think is indignantly. He's not going to allow this to happen, but he brings back a gun and says, there's the latest model. Please uh, take care of yourself in the mist. Which was a beautiful sentiment. I thought he was going to be indignant about it too, but no, he just, he really understands. He's like, my friend is going to just die mm-hmm. because... Because that's what happens when 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 your purpose is taken away and you're just sitting there staring at an oven mm-hmm. day in and day out. That person is going to just die. Um, and he can't do that. He needs to be. Uh, if he is going to die, he needs. Yeah. But should we spoil the last scene of the film? I think we. Have. So Dursu is gone. He's maybe gone for a couple of weeks and. Well, Art, Wikipedia calls it like an undetermined time like, it, it didn't feel like it was that long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but Arsenev is contacted by um, the Russian police that they found the body of a Goldie to please that had his personal business card on him. Mm-hmm. Please come identify the body. And Dursu ha- is now dead. But the, the thing that is the worst is that he was murdered by a guy who was – who killed him to steal the new gun that Arsenev had given him right. to go take care of himself in the wilderness. And that's what the beast put you where is the rifle? And he's like, that must be it. He stole the new rifle. Like that's, that's some shit. Yeah. And, and that, that recalls to me, like, um, I can't remember because my brain is bad. There's a, a, a whole bunch of wild animals do this. If their their children come in contact with humans, even if they're not around humans anymore, the the parent will reject that child and the child will die. It's all it, it felt to me almost like the same thing that the the wilderness had rejected him because he rejected the wilderness. He he went to civilization, and when he went to try to to get back to where he belonged, the wilderness itself 
rejected him. And it, yeah, existentially it was, sad. Yeah, it was almost it was, like uh, the, the wilderness saying, "No, we're not. We're not going to let you die here the way you want. We're not going to kill you. It is going to by the hands of man." So sad. And and Arsenev just just stands there, just staring. Mm-hmm. Like you you could. There, there's no voiceover narration. There's no dialogue. You just see how soul crushed Arsenev became. And the, the the police who's there, he's like, all right, sir, if you could just sign here. And he hands him the, the booklet to sign. And he just sits there and he stares as two random dudes yeah. bury his best friend. It's like, I'm sorry, sir. I've got other shit to go. Please sign. Yeah. What I love most about these Kurosawa movies is watching them is uh, his use of silence. Like, you don't need anything in this moment moment besides uh, the captain staring at the body of his friend. No. Don't need to, to say anything. You don't need to, to over-emote or explain his emotions. You feel, you know what he's feeling, and you feel that too. Mm-hmm. And just sit there and look at it and, and cry. Yep. <sighs> oh, yes. Well, uh, any any closing thoughts on Uzala? I do read these memoirs. No, I'm not going to read these (laughs) memoirs. Um, But uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting is this is the only Kurosawa film to win a major Academy Award in competition. Um, Rashomon won an honorary Oscar. Ron later won Best Costume Design, and Kurosawa got a um, an honorary Oscar. Uh, But Dersu Uzala was nominated as the Russian entry for uh, Best Foreign Film. And, and, and it won. Because it was fucking fantastic. It was fucking fantastic. But at the same time, this is exactly the type of movie that Werner Herzog would have made. Um, it would have been a very different movie. But that was one of the things that I, I, I couldn't shake while I was watching the movie. I was like, dude, Herzog would have a field day with this. And I'm thinking back onto, you know, many of his films, like Stroyzek or... Aguirre, the wrath of God, this, it's this dearth of humanity that permeates through the story that really reaches out and speaks to humanitarian issues and builds empathy. But it's at the same time, it is like nature is a bitch guys. Y'all need to be respectful. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which, which is a very strong dichotomy that Herzog has, has done in many, many of his films. Um, and this felt like Kurosawa almost had seen a couple of Herzog's films. Sure, he has. Uh, because at this at this point, just like looking at the way that it was shot, it's so achingly beautiful, but it's brutal at the same time. Um, like I, I I I did not correlate that I was watching a Kurosawa film. Like I was like, no, no, this is like Herzog's film. Um, There's a lot of long shots in this. And uh, it was just absolutely gorgeous. Um, I find it fascinating that Star Wars also ripped off this movie. <laughs> the scene in the first part of the film where Dursu and Arsenev are sitting, um, just looking up at the sky, 
it's a wide shot and you see the moon in one corner and the sun in the other corner. It's the shot of Luke fucking Skywalker on Tatooine with the two sons. Like it's the exact same composition of that shot. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? What is going on here? Chris, that was influential. Yeah. Lucas loved him. He openly admits that. Um, I just thought I thought that was really funny. It was just like this one shot. I was like, that is exactly. <laughs> um, but this was this was only this is one of the two films that he made in the seventies. He he Kurosawa was was basically at the end of his career after Dodeskaden. The Japanese film industry was done with him. They didn't want to give him any funding, so he didn't make a movie for for, for five years. Um, He's getting up there in age. Yes. Um, the Russian company um, that you had mentioned that approached him is, is Moss Film, like Moscow Moss Film. And I know them because they're the production company behind Andrei Tarkovsky's films uh, that he had produced in Russia. Um, and if, if anyone knows Tarkovsky, like he is another one of these legends of more artistic types of cinema. Um very much so, I would say, in the in Tarkovsky. So bringing Kurosawa into that kind of environment, um, you you can really see that Kurosawa was was able to do what he wanted to do. That's where you get all these really beautiful landscape shots. Uh, this scene with the blizzard, where you're watching them cut down giant wheat grass for 10 minutes. Kurosawa, he loved this story. He wanted to make this story way back in early in his career. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, you really feel like it came together for him here. He, Japan was done with him. He was in the pits of despair. And here comes this offer from a different country to make a film that he wanted to make years and years ago for, for a story he loved and they said, okay, do as you please. And so he did as he pleases. And I feel like it just, this was like one of those like star-crossed lover moments yep. in cinema for, for Kurosawa. This could not have happened in any other environment. And you could say you didn't want him to be in that environment, but it worked entirely in his favor. The, the production company actually wanted Mifune to be uh, Gersu. Um, which I, I I love Mifune, but I am glad that that did not happen yeah. because this uh, the guy who they they did get to play Dursu is incredible. Yeah, and also uh, Regbeard was the last movie that Mifune and Kurosawa worked together on. It was a troubled production, too long to to make, and Mifune soured on Kurosawa because he made him grow a beard, and he could not get any other. Uh, work while he had this beard, which kind of makes me, you know, upset at Mifune because Redbeard is that's that's a great movie. Like Mifune should have been fucking thankful. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he wasn't thankful that he was not getting paid as much. His right. complaints are valid, but Redbeard was good. Yeah, um, I don't anyway. know if he uh, he would have taken the role even if it was offered. But anyway, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I really he's certainly not better than his masterpieces, but. Is among the top half of his films. I don't. I, I. I feel that way too. I. I think I'd want to watch it again before I fully give myself into it. Um, because some of the like weird mental blocks in my brain being like, oh man, what if Herzog made this? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
stopped me from fully surrendering myself, but it really was just simply incredible. Um, I, I can't stress the cinematography enough that the, the use of the Siberian wilderness was beautiful. And you could, I could tell from, so Criterion has not released this film. Uh, this was released, I think by Fox or something on DVD. Um, it was originally purchased and distributed here in America in the late seventies by Roger Corman of all people, who, if anyone, um, is super into movies, no, Roger Corman is the king of the B movie. Um, he's all about making, making trashy movies on the cheap, but he's, uh, you know, he, he's, he, he had a real love for cinema. Um, and he loved Kurosawa and this was the only movie that was available because for some reason people weren't jumping at the chance to get this movie to distribute in America. I don't fucking understand what was wrong with people in the seventies. Won an Academy Award. Yeah. Um, and then that that DVD is still out there, but it's on Filmstruck, so it makes me feel that Criterion has licensed it. But the the transfer that is on the website is not their restoration. Uh, there's a lot of really weird discoloration issues um, that were occurring throughout the film. But if Criterion is able to properly restore and remaster the film, I I cannot wait to get that Blu-ray because the the landscapes are going to be so incredibly mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah, this um, is Kurosawa's <laughs> only 71 as well, so there's got to be some better master that. There, there has to be, or the, the the negatives lying around just waiting to get get scanned in or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it was already beautiful as it was, but you could tell that it wasn't properly restored, and now I'm just like salivating <laughs> for for what it could look like. Yeah. All right. So- it was, it's a beautiful film. Beautiful uh, film. Should we take a break? Uh, yes, I think we shall. All right, let's take a break. We'll be back talking about sports anime. Uh, you've pigeonholed us now. <laughs> it's gotta be. We have right. to. We have. We have to do an episode about sports anime for once. We're sports anime. Guys. Uh. Uh, go! Woke up feeling like I just might run for president. Even if there ain't no president. Switching up the messaging. I'm about to add a little estrogen. Buy my whip, buy myself. Pay my rent, buy myself. Only exes that I care about are in my fucking chromosomes. I don't really need you. I'm a collie cocking home alone. Bad bitch, diamonds in my collarbone. We are back, and Basil has joined us. Hello. Hi, everybody. And we are here to talk about the manga cross manage. Uh, you may have heard this very recently on a manga in your ears podcast, and that is because I already read it. So I roped in anyone who had read it to talk about it with me on this one, since I've been wanting to do this for a really long time. Uh, but Chris, shall we do what we always do? Do you like to break down cross manage for us? Uh, I'll see what I can do. So uh, cross manage was a uh, shonen jump manga, one of the really early. Shonen Jump manga that got uh, simulcast from the very beginning here in America. It started in September of 2012 and sadly only ran until July 2013. Um, I think it, it was like 42 chapters and five volumes um, after completion. It was written by Kaito, who I know nothing about, but I assume Corey does because the podcast he mentioned, they talked about his uh, second series that Viz is just now releasing. Um, so I know I know nothing about Kaito. 
Yeah, I actually don't know anything either, besides that he wrote Crossman Edge and crap, where's the other one? Blue Flag. Blue Flag. There was also one in between that was like a one volume thing. He's only 35. Oh, He's He did, uh, I think it was Cross Strike or something. That's a baseball manga that was jump started and then never continued because it was jump started. Yeah. Um,. Because I was reading up on him, he's like 35. He started when he was 20, so he's he's pretty new. And I think even Blue Flag is only lasting like five volumes. Like mm. he doesn't do long series, apparently. I guess. Smart man. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to <laughs> fill up his books on my shelf, so thank you. Right. Um, I also felt extremely old when I realized how long ago Cross Manage was. I'm like, I don't really know. It's like last year. No, yeah. no, it's been years, years years almost seven years since it ended god <laughs> um but so what is cross manage about it's a sports manga that's why we're talking about it on taiku because we only talk about sports related things on this podcast yep um and it is interestingly a lacrosse manga which lacrosse is not a a sport that we see a lot of in anime or manga in fact it's a sport that a lot of people don't talk about um I'm going to add all of my supposeds, and I don't know, so don't come attack me because I say something wrong, ridiculousness. Um, from In my personal experience, lacrosse seems to be more heavily focused in the New England and uh, Atlantic area of the, of the country. I think it goes as far west as maybe Minnesota in, in terms of popularity and where I've come across the sport of lacrosse. Um, so the fact that it's... Uh, a Japanese manga means it's even that much more niche. So the plot revolves around um, this dude named Sakurai, who was a big soccer player. That's my brain just now hit that ridiculous name comparison. <laughs> Sakurai and soccer. Um, he is attending his second year at high school, and he's looking to try to figure out what club to join. And he just is not interested in any clubs. He joins uh, the photography club at first and they're all a bunch of perverts shooting up skirt photos so he kind of moves on to that and ends up joining the the chess club the, the the shogi club when one day walking home from school he comes across uh, a girl practicing a lacrosse throw in the middle of like this abandoned it's under a bridge just this empty lot where all the weeds have magically been cleared away her name is misora toyaguchi and she's awful at everything um, she is a very sweet, kind-hearted person who just happens to not be good at anything. She's not smart. She's not good at taking classes. She's not good at any sports. Anything she's tried to do, she has failed. But she is in love with lacrosse, and this is like the one time that she just doesn't care how awful she is at it. She loves it to pieces, but she desperately wants to improve because, you know, even though she enjoys it, she still sucks at it and she knows she'll enjoy it even more if she could just figure out how to do one thing good and through a series of events that take place over the entire first volume of this five volume manga um she ropes sakurai into becoming the male manager of the all girls lacrosse team at the high school and it turns out that sakurai is a super mega genius at everything he's able to very quickly learn what the sport is uh, uh what the rules are how to do techniques and just do shit well he's kind of a, a mutant in that but he quits soccer for very 
very real reason. And the rest of the manga just dives into him trying to quote-unquote coach this all-girls team into becoming better um, because that's what he's all about while trying to balance their inherent enjoyment of playing this sport that they find fun. Uh, it covers a the, the first tournament very, very quickly with uh, the last volume and a half being the final game of the tournament um, for the, the team. And that's about it. It's five volumes. It's super, super short, but it's really, really good at what it packs into those five volumes. You know, even though I just told you the whole gist of it, it really effectively uh, tunes into those themes. And the lacrosse matches are actually pretty exciting to read. Yeah, yeah. Kaido, he draws real good. <laughs> he draws real good. I-, I would also posit that Mizora is a manic yokai dream girl. And that her yokai is a kappa. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, I like it. I yeah, dig it. I can get behind that. Um, every time she has her weird, goofy, like triangle faces, all I could think of mm-hmm. was you a kappa, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think of that until just now, but you are spot on with those face comparisons. And I, I kind of feel the whole manic yokai juke was the entire um, club, the entire team is there because she wanted it to be there. Mm-hmm. Like, everything revolves around her, and the big thing for them, the team, was that she's now revolving around him. And, and they don't like their universe revolving around him. Yeah, <laughs> and, they don't immediately... Extension. They don't immediately jump behind Sakurai. Um, he has a little bit of trouble getting in with the, the rest of the girls on the girls' team, but, uh, you know, it's... I think it's a realistic depiction of like the human stubbornness uh, for for sometimes no good reason, but sometimes a, a good reason because Misora and him walk in on the locker room as they're changing. The, if we had mentioned, this is kind of a pervy manga at some points. Um, no, we call that shonen. Yeah, we call that shonen. <laughs> it's, it's nothing not extremely more over. pervy than anything else. Yeah. yeah. I, I I will say I think this is the most realistic depiction of a harem you can have in a Shonen Jump property, he has to work for it. Yeah. Well, he's also kind of oblivious to it. You know, he's just like, I've fallen in love with this girl. Why are you Why are you getting up on me? I don't understand this, because I'm stupid. <laughs> I guess the one thing he sucks at is women. Yeah. Like he, he, they set up in the first chapter, they kind of forget the intensity of it pretty quickly, but they set up in the first chapter that if he's within like a three foot radius of women, he bursts into into uh, the anxiety cripples, uh, if you will. So the fact that, that him being the, the manager of an all girls lacrosse team is, is a major, major step for him. But they carry through that ignorant and hyper embarrassed, shy, anxious around women thing through for that that little harem that they build up for him, which I think was kind of fun. Mm hmm. It was, and it's also clear that the girls, you know, they realize who the actual couple is. And so all the harem s things that happen is honestly this giving Sakurai grief because it's fun. <laughs> I feel so bad for the soccer club manager who has had this crush on him and just being extremely overt, and he has no, no clue. So uh, jumping back just a little bit to Basil's comment about Kaido draws real good. 
his art it actually kind of frustrates me with this series. I haven't read Blue Flag yet, but his art really frustrates me because as is typical with many manga properties, especially Shonen Jump properties, you have the flips to where the artwork gets incredibly good and it's super tense with 8 million details and it's like looking at a realistic painting. And then you have the super quirky, I barely drew three or four lines to make it look goofy and silly because I'm doing a gag. Crossmanage has that where it's very minimally drawn for gags and very hyper drawn for um, serious moments. But the problem here is he draws too good to where the difference between the normal drawing and the hyper serious and the quirky gag, there's very little variance in there. It's like, why don't you just draw the whole fucking thing as good as you draw those hyper-intense scenes? Because you're almost there. Just spend another hour with some shading, and it could be like JoJo's JoJo, JoJo Part 8, JoJo Lion level of amazing looking at all times. Just just do that, Kaito. Because his art is so good for the most part that you see how little difference it takes to get to the the better drawings that you just get. I, I was just getting frustrated because it's like, it's so good. Just do that. You're almost there the whole time anyway, asshole. Well, maybe the job <laughs> schedule is not is dictating him to not do that. I know, I know, I know that. But it was still a really weird thing because I was like, oh, this looks so good. Oh god, that looks so much. Oh my god, just draw like that. <laughs> hey, this is why he has short series because he. Much like this team, he never knows not when to go hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think what I really liked about this series um, is the fact that like uh, a lot of these sports series that we cover, they don't capture the uh, the exuberance of winning, the the uh, the absolute like despair and failure that you feel when you lose. But um, stuff like Kuroko, stuff like Haikyuu, um that we talked about before, and now this one as well. This one really captures that for me. Um, and that goes with the art, with the facial expressions that he's able to do when he's uh, on his A-game, should I always say. Um, when you see them like losing that first match against Choron, it's like 38-0 or whatever it is, 29-0, I don't know, it was a lot of points, to zero. Um, you see that, and then... Uh, you see them, like, they never had any ex- expectations of winning, but you see how crushed they feel by losing. Uh, and, like, that kind of emotion is, like, what I love about it. Like, you you may have zero hope of winning, but you still feel um, that crush of losing. See, for me, it's absolutely not that. It's the other component to that that this series does that's really unique to cross-manage. We don't get this in Kuroko's or Haikyuu or anything. It's they're playing the sport because they have fun playing the sport. So when they, they're crushed, they didn't really have the expectations, and they're just like, wow, that was still super fun to be in a game. Like they, Especially uh, Toyoguchi. She's immediately after losing, she's like, that was fucking awesome. Can we do that again? She just loves playing the game. And as it goes on in the series, and they win some, some matches because they've improved, they find that they're enjoying the game more and they love it that much more so that even if they were to lose again, you know, that's kind of the thing is if they, if they're to lose again and the, the final game that they play is against Choron again. So it's got that good symmet- uh, symmetry going on is 
is it going to crush them? Have they become so invested in playing well and winning because they want to keep playing? It is is a, is another loss going to to destroy them? And that's kind of one of the the undercurrents throughout the whole series. Uh, Rio, the super pervy, disgusting college student who runs the the sports store, brings that up at every opportunity that he gets. And that's that's the part that I loved because, as we know by listening to this, I'm not really into sports, but I did play sports when I was younger because it was fun, um, and I can relate to not being super good at these sports, but still wanting to do it because I had fun. But this is this is real world, and it's also America, the worst country on the face of the planet. So everybody treats you like shit if you're not good at something. And that made sports not fun anymore by being treated like shit because I wasn't as good as someone else or I was just looking more to have fun. Um, so I stopped I stopped playing sports because it's it's not any fun when everyone treats you like shit. So this this atmosphere and this mentality that they're that Kaito really is infusing into this story, like that's the main point behind this series. That's what I love. Like I I, I was heartbroken and i was happy to see them win or lose but it always is still a positive feeling because of their investment and in the series's willingness to focus on that kind that that base level of enjoyment and make it that's what this is about that's what i loved about this and that's why the the original uh how many people were there? Like eight people with Misora joined the club to begin with because they just wanted to have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that—that that is another thing that I do like about this is that this is about fun. The, the main question the series seems to be answering is: uh, Do you want to play a sport to have fun, or do you want it to win? And that's like the um, the opposing things between Choron and uh, uh, what's her name? Chi? Uh, no, that's not right. Uh, Whatever her the the main Choran character is. Um, oh, n- Namine. Namine. Yeah, yeah Namine. Oh, when because she is like this crazy lacrosse playing monster. She doesn't appear to have fun playing the game, but she is really really good at it. So like, is she playing the game right, or is Misora playing the game right? Who is who is never very good at it and uh, is only good because of Sakurai's coolidge. Um, like I think the. I think the determination they came to is that they're both kind of right, but it is way better to play it to have fun. Well, and then there's also the whole other, you know, through line, which is Sakurai and his whole issues, why he stopped playing soccer, where he feels that he cannot play sports again, but through managing this team and figuring out how things work and how to improve them, He's found a new love of sport that he didn't have before. Mm-hmm. He's able to, to still enjoy sports in a different way. He didn't think there was any other way than playing and winning. Yeah. It's so good. It's really good. Like I can't believe that. Like, and I don't. I don't. I don't wish that the series really continued because I think it was meant to end where it ended. Because it, a lot of times with some series, you feel that. In the first couple of arcs, they really said what they wanted to say, unless it's, you know, a bland, generic, I'm just telling a story with a never-ending goal type of thing. Um, They say what they really want to say, 
at the beginning. And this is a series that, yeah, we could have kept following them, but at what point would it have become repetitious? Mm -hmm. At what point would it have had to find an entirely new reason for existing and maybe maybe the series doesn't adapt well to that that new reason this, the five volumes like this felt just kind of perfect for me because it's it it does what it wants to do it says what it wants to say and it doesn't drag it out right and that first game they have is against the i guess the choron third team along with namine and then the mm-hmm. last game they have is also against Choron, so like we can see how much they improve and how much they learn these tactics that Sakurai is teaching. In the, in the, it's, also, it's their first string at the, the end of the series. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. And I also like, you know, much like any good sports thing, they do a really good job of immediately letting you be able to attach yourself to the opponent team because you have not had the time to build the characters like you've had with your main characters, but still there's enough personality and visual tells and, and things that you can be like, ah, yes, no, I, I like this other team too. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this series was really good at doing that. Um, I kind of loved like half of the first string of Choron. <laughs> like that's a good team. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it, it reminds me a lot of a uh, ace of diamond at respect where whatever other rival baseball team shows up, I'm like, all right, I, I like you guys. I could have watched an anime about you guys, but I'm not. I'm watching about these guys, so I hope they win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And it, it's it's also interesting because Ace of Diamond very much, you know, I think is I think one of the best examples of a quote-unquote typical sports anime or manga that can last forever because it's super about this team playing baseball. But I do think this cross-managed is sort of another kind of sports show where it's actually about the message it's delivering. The sport, it didn't have to be lacrosse. Lacrosse, how do you pronounce that? I it think lacrosse, I don't know. Lacrosse, yes. Uh, I don't know why my brain blinked on that. But it didn't have to be lacrosse, but it works that it's lacrosse. Because I think the, the, the whole thing of someone being down and out on a sport, relearning what it is to love sport in a new way, while also teaching the lesson of winning is nice, but it may not be the most important thing. And that carries through with any sport. Yeah. yeah I love the, the journey that we go on in this in this series. Uh, just with these characters learning to first accept Sakurai all and then like realize that he is actually teaching them very important things about lacrosse, about uh, teamwork and stuff. Um, and the way that he enacts these... Um, just like having the, I forget like literally everybody's name and I forgot to bring it up, but the the twins, um, having them be these opposing midfielders that are allowed to pass to each other uh, in quick succession, and then having the um, the other very good attacking girl and Mizora at the front just to be able to uh, or give them the best chance of scoring any goals uh, because basically everyone else doesn't really have as much of a, of an ability to do that. Uh, and then the the kind of Gyaru girl being in the goal because she wanted to and whined about it until she was. Because uh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, like, even little moments, like when she said, she pulls Sakurai aside and is like, I need to talk to you about something in secret after school, and it's just a secret training thing because secret training things are cool. <laughs> Like, the amount of silliness and levity in these characters um, in between the moments of intense sport is very good. And I kind of also like the whole idea that, you know, Sakurai, the first thing he taught Mizora 
is how to score. He, he taught her how to how to quote unquote win. Was the very first thing he ever taught her. I, I don't even know if he knew that it was uh, like a shoot, like to to try to get it into the net. Like he was just like, all right, I want to throw the ball hard. It's what looks like she's trying to do, and he just figured it out. Well, well, yeah, that but that's 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 the brilliant thing is that these two are made for each other, and they don't know it yet. They haven't realized it yet. He hasn't realized that his real calling in life is to teach, uh, to instruct, to let people learn, to to make other people better. He doesn't know that. He's just trying to like, oh, let me figure it out. And I think it also you know comes through with the same sort of thing where he doesn't realize what he's quite doing when he when they learn the let the laser beam attack where you know Notchin does an incredibly long pass to Mizora and everyone's like that's a soccer thing why are you doing a soccer thing in lacrosse I only do what I know <laughs> yeah it is apparently a thing in the men's game I think they mentioned that in men's lacrosse but uh, not as much in the women's game the women's game and men's game are actually very different in lacrosse uh they, it, they was, I don't, it, it wasn't intended to be like sexist, but it still felt that way. Like that one little sentence is like, because women don't have the upper body strength of men. Yeah, like please stop what you're doing. But uh, I'm sure one well, of the crosses noticed... made in like the 1800s or whatever, people were extremely sexist. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you notice, after he says that, the very next line of his, I, the very next panel, I think you can see that he got punched for it. <laughs> by, by Nachin. Like, I just, like, that was one of the, uh, it was a recurring gag throughout the manga where someone would actually say something mildly sexist, and next thing you know, the next, if you look at their next panel, they, they, they apparently got hit for it because that was, you shouldn't have said it that way. What I think is really cool about that gag, sorry, Corey, we can get back to what you were saying. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, is that you don't really know that anyone's been punched because there's no action marks or it's not super obvious. Like, it doesn't focus on his face. You just, you have to look at the panel. And I, a cu- like, the first couple of times I was like, okay, what's happening? And then I would see him in, like, the bottom corner with just a couple of streaks of blood from his nose. I was like, oh, okay, there we go. Like, for some reason, it's, it's, it's not drawn to draw your attention to it, so it's a much more subtle gag. I think this this was a really good comedy too. Like so many good jokes, and a lot of times they are very understated understated jokes. Yeah, Kaito has been so far between this and uh, Blue Flag. I don't remember anything about Buddy Strike, but I didn't read that. Um, they he he has been very good at comedy, um, just like being able to uh, make me laugh in unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. And another thing is, man. I, he is one has to be one of the best artists to draw like jubilation and joy and happiness in his characters' faces. Like they are, when they are happy, they are so happy. It, it's so, I it makes me smile looking at those panels. Like they really like it's infectious the way that he draws their happiness. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I was getting at. Like the the joy and jubilation of what they're doing really comes through. Uh, through those drawings. But uh, does anyone else have anything else? Shall we get to question? Actually, I think there are actionable questions. Uh, I, I think the only other thing that I'd, I'd like to add is he did a really good job of filling the cast with what at first seemed like very stereotypical characters, but over the course of the series, there's, there's, there's too many characters to really pay attention to everybody, but he does a really good job of paying attention to 
as many characters as possible and giving them this level of nuance that really just really it, it, it made them more than the stereotypes that you would assume when you first meet all these characters mm-hmm. um yeah, like I, I love like the defender girl I, which who, one with, with the well with the really big lips oh okay. where where you know whenever he sometimes sakurai would would stumble and he would get this big slap on the back from her she's like hey i'm gonna say something wise now and you're gonna appreciate this and he was like yes yes i did thank you yeah, it, one of my favorite characters is the uh, the goalie. The way that uh, like you unexpectedly got all this not backstory. It's it, it's not even like this weird tragic backstory getting introduced. The way you just find out more about their personality and their wants and desires. I was like, after that like two or three chapter section, I was like, yeah, no, she is the best. I love I love her. It is also just like such a wide variety of. Uh character character types body types um there's the like spunky sporting girl and then misora which seems like just a uh, re- relatively paint by numbers design um besides the kappa part and then the jacker girl the larger girl the other larger girl who loses weight as the series goes on because she's working out so much no tell yeah, no doubt. Um, the twins, yeah, it's just like so many good character designs within this. Yeah, there's also, I forget her name, but the, the, the taller girl who also has a really good read of the situation Jim. at hand. And she's mm, sort of the yeah. uh, actual like call maker like on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she was really good, but she it, her character design confused me a little bit because she also has a mole. So I when 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 she would pop up, I didn't know if it was the uh, soccer team's manager part of the harem that was showing up, just with the different, just a slightly different uh, emphasis on the design. <laughs> it, it, it's the haircut. You gotta look at the haircut. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm used to like Love Live, where you have to find the the different the different uh, emphasis, like a mole or something like that, to tell the the d- character designs part. They have different hair colors too, but not in the manga. You gotta look it's at okay. the hair. It's always about the hair. Yeah. Several, um, several of the Choron teams all have the. Uh, oh, I'm blanking on names again, but the uh, the hair buns mm. that you know Sailor Moon has. Like two or three uh, of those characters on the team have those buns too. Maybe they're all Sailor Moon fans. They could be, because there was Momo, and then I think girl with black hair, and they, 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 there was but several of them have that same you know, Adongo, mm. and I was like. Interesting choice. I guess they had to keep their hair up somehow. <laughs> uh, all right, so shall we get to questions? Yeah, I, I think. Unless, do you have any any more, Basil? You were awfully quiet for being so excited to join us for this. Well, uh, honestly, Chris, it's a case of I was going to say a thing, and then you said it. I'm like, that was literally God. What I was going to say it <laughs> when I was going to say it. I was Fuck. like, oh, man, awesome, right. good job. <laughs> Basil, I'll send you the audio, and you can just pick out some moments where Chris says something, and you <laughs> you, you record your bit, and we'll just yeah. splice it. In. I'm sorry, I was I was sitting here, I was like, man, it seems like I'm talking way too much. I hate myself. No, no, no. Ah, uh, no, no. This was like, like I I sort of recrammed reading this um, since last night and this morning. And I just reacquainted myself, man, going, man, I really, really did like this manga. I remember back reading this, you know, when it first hit, you know, and it was the highlight of Weekly Shonen Jump for, you know, a while. Mm-hmm. 
and I was really sad. Like, it tells a complete story, and I'm glad it ends where it ends, but at the time, I'm like, no. No, I'm really invested in this team and what they're doing. I, I, I'm i not ready to let them go yet. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened again this morning. I'm like, oh, wait, I'm done. Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, th- yeah, this was this was one of the few uh, series that ran a weekly show in a jump that I actually read. Um, I event I ended up eventually canceling my weekly show and jump subscription because I wasn't reading the damn thing, but I actually did read this one um, and rereading it uh, earlier this week. It's just so pleasant. Like it really felt felt good to read it. Like I would I would pick this up if Viz would put it out uh, physically. Yeah, I have the digital copies. I didn't read it and jump, and I think I jumped in to jump uh, too late to be able to pick it up week by week. Uh, not like I kept up week by week, uh, like literally ever. Anyway, like. Uh, Anyways, I will say that if you do subscribe to the Jump app, it is it is in there. Yeah, that's how I reread it because I I figured I would try it again because it's not magazines. I can just pick a series and read, <laughs> which is much more attuned to how I read. Yeah, but I, I will say you know, I, during the time this was actually hitting during weekly uh, Shonen Jump. I helped run an anime con for 10 years called Hamacon, and around that same time period, there was a lacrosse team, a men, boys, teenage boys in, in Alabama, uh, and they were, uh, not all of them, but some of them were uh, real jerks to my con goers, and I'm pretty positive we had to kick a few of them out and have like serious talks with some of their parents, because they were just being a nuisance. And I still enjoyed reading this manga while also still being really annoyed with some of the players of an actual lacrosse team. Yeah, so like I mentioned, you know, in my experience, lacrosse is more heavily centered in various areas. Yeah, every lacrosse player I've ever met in real life is the biggest fucking douchebag. Um, they're all hyper elite Ivy League level douchebags. My bully when I was in middle school and the first year of high school when I lived in New York, he was the lacrosse team. You know, fuck those dudes. Um, <laughs> even, like, in movies where someone's a, a member of the lacrosse team, they're always douchebags. Even American Pie, that big super cuddly dude, Chris, um, from the American Pie movies, he was all super, super nice and everything, but he, when he was on that lacrosse field, like, he still has those tendencies. Fuck these people. That's another reason why I really loved this this series, because they're good, likable people. That's why Sakurai had to come from soccer. He couldn't come in with lacrosse. He had to come in from an alternate sport to help these <laughs> wonderful girls do lacrosse. <laughs> oh. All right. So, All right, questions. questions. Uh, we have three questions from Lumrum Nayasha. Uh, first... How do you feel about the series breezing through most of the matches until the final match with Choron? I, I, I think it was... So, I, I guess you can call it breezing. I felt like they had to figure out certain things to be able to be a good team, and they sort of laser-honed in on those things so they can move on. I also kind of wonder if he knew he only had so many volumes, and so he knew he had to get to the good stuff for the fifth volume. Yeah, I, I think it worked pretty well, because... The- with sports series, the extent to which you show the games is a really tricky, tricky thing to balance. Uh, you have uh, some series like Mix that they just blow through the games because that's not the real focus of that story. And then you have 
stuff like Ace of Diamond, where you can sit out a whole core and wait till it's <laughs> over because that's one game. Um, where it, it starts to feel, it could feel tedious to some people because you're like, oh my god, we we went through half an inning every fucking episode. Let's pick up the pace. So I think the way that Kaito arranged it here works really really well because we're focusing on them improving. So with all those first those first couple of games, having them blow by in a chapter or two felt right because we get to see the 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 the, the fifty thousand foot level of their improvement, and we're like, wow, they're doing really good. They're learning this. They're learning that. And just like with the the practice match against Troron, which lasted uh, more than one or two chapters, I think it was three or four chapters. Um, that's really where you get to focus in on the, not just their improvement, but how much their love of the game and how difficult losing can can be to them. It really zeroes in on that, so you're able to get that Ace of Diamond experience where you're really involved with it. If each game was like that, I don't think the final game would have had as much of an impact if he was intending to end it at that point. If he sped through the whole thing, it just would not have worked because it would have been like, well, what was the point of, of the series? Because we're supposed to watch them improve and enjoy the game, but we don't watch them play games. I think it worked out well. Um, the Choron game being a whole volume and a half, maybe that's a little excessive, but it was a really good game. Um, I mean, so, I, mean your, I, I think it worked really well. Yeah, that's, the Kyoran game is your climax, your uh, your entire ending to the series, actually. And that might not be the way that he intended it, but it really worked out well that way. And I think uh, spending so much time in that game, showing how much they improved uh, in in that great of a detail, really worked for the series. Because it's about, like as, you, as we've been saying, is it's about them enjoying the game and like if we don't have this extended moment where you can see everybody playing the game and enjoying the game then like it being about enjoying the game i would also say that um so the last you know bit where volume and half it builds up but they can also get to really now show off them playing because they've now quote unquote gotten good mm-hmm. all these other things were still building blocks to this final game and so i think that game got they now have the skill level of the, as players to really get into the nitty-gritty of playing a game. Mm. Whereas even in the first couple of you know games they played in there, they were still figuring things out because they've never got to play that many actual games. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm thinking back to, to Slam Dunk. So that the first game, it's like four or five episodes. It really dives deep into that first game where um, Red Haired Dude starts with an S, name died um just is absolutely awful because he hasn't even practiced with the team sakuragi he's just absolutely awful if if you were to watch every game after that where he's still trying to even figure out how to dribble the ball in that level of detail where you're just watching him suck but like oh he was able to dribble five paces this time instead of four that would have been awful that's a good point like it would have just been torture to watch these games take a volume each with that level of detail when they're still just very slowly learning how to play the game. Slam Dunk did that too. That was yeah. And once Sakuragi got got good enough, then it got back to all right. We're going to sit here for ten episodes and watch this game. Um, 
Uh, all right. So, question: uh, Who is your favorite player amongst the Fujioka team? Well, I already answered this earlier, but the the goalie. Like, it's a it's a real hard pull between the goalie and Toyoguchi. Toyoguchi is such one of the. I just adore her as a main character. She's perfect as as the as the main, and that could be because of uh, manic yokai dream girl syndrome. I don't know. I I mean, on the field, I it would have to probably be go- the, the pull. <laughs> I wanted to try to put <laughs> Garu and Goalie together, and that didn't work out. <laughs> um, I think on the field, I think she's my favorite, especially when she would grab, a, you know, she would defend the goal out of nowhere, or even when she wasn't expecting to, because her intuition actually is very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, off the field, I think some of my favorite moments was um, the flirty girl, because she absolutely <laughs> knew that she was giving Sakurai hell, and that was what was fun for her, and she had no problems having fun with him mm-hmm. at his expense. And that's an yes. interesting dichotomy with, like, the characters that actually have a crush on Sakurai, and she's just like, you know, I just want to screw with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was good. Uh, Noto is such a really great character, too. Like, I remember her name because I really liked her character. She's the one who, when she started the... the started on the team she was extremely overweight and uh by the end she she got really lean um her her whole like superpower because everybody's got their own superpowers in sports series is uh she she can pass to anywhere on the field um with extreme accuracy to the point where she's first learning everyone's like you suck so bad at this and he's like no she's trying to get it into your mitt or into the cross uh net but you're running so she needs to aim ahead of you so that by the time she, the ball gets there, you're there at the same time. Yeah. Um, it, she had a, re- a lot of really, really good moments in the games yeah, uh, she, where they utilized that. They go so far as, like, Sakurai has created a grid for the entire lacrosse field, it seems, and he yells out a number on the grid, like B4 or whatever, and she passes to that exact place. Uh, it's very Baby Steps slash uh, Baby Steps of the Tennis Anime slash uh, Big Wango-esque. She also had a really good, you know, because if you also remember, she was one of the three that tried to quit, you know, mm-hmm. midway through the manga. And part of the issue was what, you know, Sakurai was like, but you're the best ball handler, you're the best person at passing. And at, at that point, she still didn't believe him because she didn't want to accept praise. And yeah. that's something that she had to learn herself. Yeah. So I think she also got a really good little character arc for, you know, for Noto. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, th- I don't remember her name, but the, uh, the the defense specialist that you confused with the uh, soccer club manager, uh, at least on the field, I really liked her, just because she, like, generally, I like defense more, th- more than offense, or at least analyzing defense more than offense. Um, so her being this, like, general of the field for the defense being able to call out where you should go for this and that thing, that's very appealing and interesting to me, even if her... I don't, I don't think she had many moments in the series proper. Um, not, not in the series proper, but like it, out, outside of the field moments. Um, in terms of characters overall, I would probably agree that Deagley is the best one, just because she was like the funniest one. Uh, or at least had like the, the weirdest, funniest moments. Mm. Alright, so, question three. 
Final question. Uh, do you think the series explored its theme of balancing playing to win and playing to have fun to its fullest extent? I mean, we've talked about that a little bit, mostly. Uh, to its fullest extent, though, I, honestly, I do. Yeah. Um, I think it. I think it really went as far as it could. I mean, it could have been stretched out and given more uh, ups and downs over the course of the series, uh, but it's still really, it, it still ended where it should have ended. Just, it's just truncated. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, like I said, I think there's two real central themes and that's one of them. You know, the, the balance of pl- the most important thing you're playing a sport to have fun, play to have fun. Winning is important. That's the whole goal of playing the sport, but it's not everything. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be able to have that joy to really be able, you know, to, to make that winning so much sweeter. But, you know, even when you lose, there's something to learn. Uh, you're still on a path of self-improvement because at the end of the day, you're the one doing this. You're the one playing this. You're the one managing this. You know, you've got to be able to enjoy what you do to be able to really, truly do it. And I think that message came along very well. So, does anyone have any closing thoughts on cross manage? Almost like cross game before we end this podcast. Cross game is sadly infinitely better than cross manage, but cross manage is super super good. Yeah. So, um, you, you should absolutely read it. And I I want to make I want to try to remember to pick up Blue Flag. Check that out. It's unfair to compare uh, Kaito to Yachi. <laughs> he's still getting started though. Maybe he's going to be a great. Yeah. Good thing. Oh. I hope so. I, I really, really, really like Crossmanage, and I would love to see someone find. I want to say finally, but give Kaito the chance. I would love to see a long form manga, maybe not like fifty volumes or something, <laughs> but give me like ten yeah, or good twenty 10 volume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I, I think he has the chops, the storytelling chops, the drawing chops, the drama chops, the funny drop chops. Like I think he's got it to do something cool and long form and I would love to see it yeah but maybe the dude is just someone who likes shorter series I think uh, someone similar to Inio Sano perhaps uh, besides Pun Pun all of his series has been have been five or less volumes I believe or, or maybe I maybe he's like a Kengo Hanazawa you know <laughs> Resentiment was was four volumes Boys on the Run was nine I Am Hero was 22 you know He's just he's he's building up the muscles, but he's he's good from the from the get. Manga drawing is really the true sports man or the true sports <laughs> manga. I mean that that's a little trick though. All manga is really about manga. Yeah. Um. So let's close this thing out. Where can we find everybody on the internet, Basil? So you can find me on Twitter at its Basil time. P.S. Chris, please follow me. Um. Oh. Uh, that was only partially a joke. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you can find my. My normal podcast, the Awesome Cast at osmcst.com. We've got, you know, just recently we had the Chihayafuru episode with Corey on it. I am also very excited for the Taiku Chihayafuru episode. Jared, start watching. <laughs> um, we have also, yes, Chris, followed me live. Yes. Woohoo. <laughs> um, Chris does what Evan Minto doesn't. Anywho. Well. Um, I also have a Final Fantasy XIV podcast. We actually just started. Uh, it comes out as of this recording, this upcoming Monday. I don't know when this will go up, so it may already be up. It's called The Carbuckle Chronicle. We're covering you know, Square Enix's MMO, Final Fantasy XIV. And me and my wife, we're, we, we're really planning on getting kicking back going with Touched by Duelist. 
where we're going to be uh, reviewing uh, episode by episode uh, each week an episode of Touch and an episode of Yu-Gi-Oh! Chris? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at GoKoofy. Uh, you can also find my YouTube channel. Um, I'm getting ready to actually put out the, the good content that I've been wanting to, to try to work on. Um, and that's uh, Cups of Night Films. And uh, that's about it. Uh, thank you so much. I, I, I love talking about manga. We don't do it nearly enough on this uh, sports anime podcast. I know. It's really unfortunate. Um, this, is, this is our third manga manga talk. Only our third over oh five years. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Passionate K. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Taiku Podcast because T A I I K U, where you can yell at us to talk about more sports manga. Um, you can find all of our episodes over at TaikuPodcast.com as well. But uh, thank you too for coming on, talking about cross vantage. Got it right. Woohoo! Thank you. This was this was a lot of fun. It's always a joy talking to y'all. Thank you. You too, Basil. Oh, and Basil, thank you again for the logo. Every time I will thank you that I remember. Sometimes I don't. Oh, no. No, it's absolutely... I, And I'm really glad that I made sure all of it says Sports Anime Podcast right there. <laughs> so we know that that's what this podcast is entirely about. It's true. Yeah, it, it's probably... You know, it's entirely my fault. I, I came up with the name of the podcast even before um, I was considered to be guesting on it. <laughs> Um, and yeah not many people are going to inherently know that taiku means physical education in Japanese it's the name of gym class Um, and so I'm sorry it just sounds weeby as hell uh, but the sports part is very uh, not easily ascertained it's okay Uh, some friends of mine um, they run a con in Atlanta called Seishun Con it used to be it's now a winter con just due to timing but it used to be like a, 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 a spring slash summertime, and it was very much named for you know the feelings of seishun, especially in sports anime. <laughs> um, I don't the guy I don't realize, know if the guys running it now quite realize it when one of the co-creators really wanted that name. I don't know if they quite realized what he was really going for, but boy, I did, and I I appreciated it, and I appreciate Taiku as well. I. I, I did look up the name and I was like, oh, well, that's a good name. Like, so no, I think you did a good job. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, signing off. find this turnip seller real quick though but it's been your you know con experience it's been fun yeah the few panels i've gotten to do when i'm not at work has been has been good which has mostly been ink and uh boku sachi and uh you know burger time i missed burger time because i was playing D&D. that's a good reason okay um you like you sold your turnips uh oh crap that's what i was doing right oh my goodness <laughs> No, my switch is on silent. This is fine. All right. We'll get started then. Uh, what do we get? Cross Okay. Uh...